Hey, you. Yeah, you. Open your ears. That's right. I'm pleased to bring you the latest and greatest from our friends over at Open Your Ears Records. Open Your Ears Records are proud to welcome the self-proclaimed Diet Punk's guardrail to the family. Chicago, Illinois' finest are coming in hot with their new EP, Yikes, dropping on September 25th. It's no-holds-barred pop punk at its best. Fiery riffs, catchy melodies, and lyrical content we can all relate to. Don't believe me? Check out this clip from their new single, Till We're Dead. Hear more from Guardrail by heading on over to oyerex.com. That's O-Y-E-R-E-C-S.com. And use promo code NEWMUSIC20 to save 20% off your pre-order. Open your ears to new music and check out Guardrail today. Hey guys, welcome to the Stringer Podcast on the phone sessions, a shortened version of the show where I take my talking from the studio and instead do it on the phone because we're all trying to continue to do our part to physically distance, wear a mask when out in public, and for God's sake, stop the spread of COVID-19, please. Today, let's try to dial up Julie Stewart Banks, whose name I just realized I oddly placed the hyphen between the Julie and the Stewart and not the Stewart and the Banks. Julie Stewart Banks? Things that did not need to be shared. Julie truly fascinates me, as she might very well be the most educated person I've met through my journey in sports media. Most recently, she completed a series of Harvard courses around U.S. politics as she tries to inform herself ahead of the upcoming election. Did I mention she's also a stand-up comedian? And, in case you didn't know, a certified NHL scout. Incredible. I know. Julie's currently bunkered down in her mom's house, so let's try to give her a call there, because I can only imagine her answering us on one of those hamburger flip phones in her teenage bedroom. On the phone, I have longtime friend and second ever podcast guest, Julie Stewart Banks. Julie, I, I actually just in my Facebook feed, I just received one of those memories that was like, did you know three ago, years ago today, Julie Stewart Banks was on the podcast? How are you doing? Good. Yeah, thank you. Three years ago, I would have no idea what that time frame is right now because it feels like it was three years ago yesterday or a day ago. But uh, yeah, it has been has been quite a while since, you know, we we worked sort of in the same building, I guess, like probably about 10 11 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's been good. I'm happy I'm in Toronto right now. And it's, it's nice to be back in Canada. You came back not right away, but but sometime in August, late July. Yes, yeah, I came back uh, like July twenty fifth or something. Quarantined for two weeks downtown Toronto. Now I'm back in my home, my mom's house where I grew up, and I've been here for a really long time. But it's it's definitely flown by because I think that anyone listening to this that's done quarantine or changed their locations, it's like you just need to get into a routine, and then it's literally the same thing. It's the same thing any place you are. So it's been nice being here because we've got a backyard. You can go for walks. A little bit different than in Manhattan, New York, where I live, where it's we definitely don't have a backyard. Going for walks is a little bit more cautious because there's so many people. So it's it's kind of been nice to sort of like get a change of scenery. Now, I know my mom, as soon as I moved out, converted my bedroom to an office. And it broke my heart a little bit because every time I go home... I see my old room and it's now just an office, which might be, you know, 
pretty telling as to what my life is like, that my home is basically my office. Now, it, did, did your mom leave your room the way it was when you left or has there been changes? What does it feel like being back in your old room? Yeah, well, I've been broadcasting my show from here for the last couple of weeks and sort of leaning into the fact that like nothing has changed from this room. It has pretty much every single thing. I mean, there's some things that were different like 15 years ago when I graduated high school, but for the most part, it's like exactly the same. You know, there's things on the bulletin board that are from when I was in grade 12. Like it's just sort of, it's odd, but I've gotten at first, like when I came back here, I was like, Oh, this is just sort of like weird to sort of look at, but then you get used to it. Like you're just sort of like, Oh, this is what this room looks like in a way. And it's nice. There are trips down memory lane and there are things that sort of you forget about that happened in your life. And you're like, Oh, that's, it's all right in front of you. Whereas uh, you, you know me, I've lived everywhere around the world and sort of have lived basically out of a suitcase. I think my life has just been, it's just been all over the place. And so I don't have all these mementos with me. I, I, I never lived in Toronto as an adult on my own. So it's kind of neat to sort of have these memories of like, oh yeah, this is, this is sort of where you came from. This is like who you are. And, uh, and it's kind of nice and heartwarming. 15 years later, how special are those figure skating? medals that you have i've seen the photos <laughs> there's like uh, you were right up there you and patrick chan neck and neck yeah well honestly i mean patrick and i figure skated together which is like kind of odd to say because he was like 10 years old then and i was i'd say that was like near the i i think he's i remember when he first started skating i was probably six seven years older than him maybe not that much older but we knew when we first started seeing him skate, we're like, this kid is really good. Like he would just try a jump and he'd land it. And we were like, man, this is taking us forever. But you just saw his talent. You're like, that guy's going to be an Olympian. Like he's going to win the Olympics. And um, he is, it's kind of funny to say that I skated with him. Obviously I was not as nearly as good in the same stratosphere as him. But uh, yeah, the medals that are here are, a sim a symbol of my parents money that went all into just those really brutal medals that well you know at end of the day you know you take whatever you think from those experiences of learning how to be a learning how to work toward a goal and the dedication and da 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 all that kind of stuff so that's i guess what they they symbolize now we have in toronto uh oliver the cash man Maybe we can trade yes. those medals in and get some of that money back for your parents. I don't think I think we'd we'd be paying money to have him do that. <laughs> What's wild to me, I'm at that age now where I have been in my role or in in sports in a media role long enough to see people come into the league and then see people leave the league, whether it's the NHL or the NBA or Major League Soccer, it has spanned that long of time. And I kind of thought of that in terms of Patrick Chan because he he had announced that the last Winter Olympics was going to be his last one that he was going to compete in. Uh, it's a bit of a trip, isn't it? Because you look at yourself and you're like, I am not that old and I have so much more that I'm going to do and I want to do and you're retiring? Yeah, I think it is kind of funny. My mom and I talk about it a lot and that I quit when I was 16 and I kind of just had like an epiphany one day when I was running track and field and I had my name in the newspaper from just like a meet I went to and I had spent, I mean, years and years and two practices a day and 
you know, just going crazy with figure skating, never even once came close to having something as minuscule as just your name printed in the newspaper as someone having done well. And I thought, okay, uh, it hit me right in the face. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I was just like, I, I'm done. And I decided then to lean more into track and field, which I'd been doing at the time, like balancing both. But then, yeah, and, and it, it was... I didn't even think twice about it. Like my whole career in figure skating, I was always like, no, like I am never quitting. Like I'm doing this. And I'm glad I did that when I did. Cause then, you know, then I'm able to learn other things, do other things and have like a different career. Cause I've had a lot of people, my old figure skating coach sort of come to me saying, Hey, do you mind like mentoring some of these figure skaters who are really good? Maybe they went to the Canadian championships, but now they don't know what their life is going to be like. So I guess they sort of look at me as like, oh, you did this for a long time and then now you have something else. I'm like, yeah, but I never spent the kind of time that you guys did and, and the investment. So um, it is weird. I, obviously, a lot of people who transition from being a professional athlete to then having to be a quote unquote normal person after that, I can't imagine what kind of mental uh, just just the mental gymnastics involved with being okay with that and then just like finding what your next passion is in like your second half of your career last time we chatted it's interesting finding a second passion in 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 the next stage of a career and and the reason why i apply that to you is because as an outsider as i'm gonna say a half outsider because i'm kind of in the industry but i'm nowhere near in the roles you're in and i watch you and you're starting hockey and and just completely envelop yourself in that and then you move to soccer then you you did some football for a bit and then the evolutions that have happened since then and joining fubo tv now and getting now your second network you're you're right in on the ground floor getting that off the ground getting it started what's that experience been you hosting two of the the the, the flagship shows for the network yeah, I mean, it's anytime you're sort of a part of the beginning of something, it's really exciting, but it's also so, 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 so much work. And having worked at national networks and sort of having a lot of the elements in place to then just go in and do your job is something that I probably took for granted in most regards in that, oh, you don't have to... Um, build your own set and you don't have to book all your own guests and you aren't um you, you know you aren't doing all the other things that weren't really I guess part of the job that I did before our part are almost that's your job now and sometimes I think about it like when I do my interviews when I do my shows it comes easy and naturally now to be able to do some kind of uh rant on something and be completely focused, completely right to the point. And I think to myself, like, wow, this is easy now. And then I think, no, it's because you've had 10 years of like, learning how to do it better and failing and getting the repetitions in that this is why that's easy. And so that part of the job, the performance aspect of the job, the producing the creativity of the spontaneity on the moment feels much more natural. But then so then most of my job now is is the guest booking is you know the set design um you know what that is very small these days of course because we are working from home but it's like all the other little things are really what i i focus on now and then so much of it is because it's a smaller network there's it's it's twofold it's a catch-22 of 
you get to have a lot more creativity and you get to have so many more of your decisions being brought to the forefront and your voice being being heard. But you don't have the the marketing tools. You don't have the big network behind it that's like no matter what you do, it will be out there. You have to you have to grind so hard to get eyeballs on your stuff. And so uh, we work once we finish the show, it's like we work so hard to then get, okay, what are the clips? What are the what are the best clips that are gonna do well? Okay, who's been mentioned in some of these clips that we can then tag because then maybe they'll retweet it or they'll like it and then more people will see it. And those are the things you think about when maybe that clip wasn't necessarily the best part of the interview, but he said he or she said something about someone that would like it right? Like we had Dan Patrick on this past week and he, I asked him who's the most underrated sports center anchor of all time. Well, he mentions Reese Davis. He mentions Tony Rielli, who wasn't a sports center anchor, but, and then also Craig Kilborn. If I put that tweet out there and I tag those people, those people will see it first of all, and then they will maybe also engage with it. So then you're just getting more eyeballs on things. And at this point, I think with a new network, and as you mentioned, I was part of FS1's launch, you have to be so patient. And I caution the people in charge at Fubo all the time. I say, like, don't look, you can't look at the numbers in the first, like, five years of a network. I mean, that's a that's quite a bit of time, but you can't really look at the numbers in the first year. If you have the ability to, if you have the finances to, to launch a network and the, the, the vision to sort of see that through, you can't even look at the fact that like, it's going to take a long time for people to have this on their radar, to see it, to have appointment viewing. And also people aren't watching like they're, my show is on a Friday night at 8 p.m., I consider the fact that I don't think people are watching it then. People will watch the clips that I post. People will watch um, the people will listen to the podcast. And then maybe they maybe if they particularly like a guest I have, they might sit and watch the whole thing. But if I can get if I can get someone to see a 15 second clip on my Instagram feed and know that my show exists and more about Fubo, like that's what, that's a win, right? That's especially in your first now going into the second year of conception. So I think you just have to be really patient. It's such, such, such a grind. But then when you see it come to fruition, when you see, I was doing a deep dive on everything that happened in the last year. And I was like, wow, it was such a nice reminder of in the moment, the hustle just feels overwhelming. But then when you take a step back, you're like, wow, this, we created something out of dust. Like, and so many people came on my show that didn't have to. And Adam Lefko from Bleacher Report said it to me earlier on, which he was like, this is a, this is a two-way street. He's like, I get a chance to have fun, show my personality, have some fun clips to them put out. And that works for me. And I was thinking, yeah, that is true. But not everyone cares about that like that is part of the world that we live in now where it's like you kind of have to keep showing that you're active that you're involved that you're ahead of the curve on so many things and so it is it is a bit of a two-way street but then I've had guests on my show that could care less about a social media clip or about anything to do with Twitter and and Instagram and I think I think it's I've done a lot of work in trying to maintain a good network of people. And then I just harass them to come on. I'm like, please just do me this favor. And I hope at some point it gets a little bit easier than doing a high school project every week in that you're the you're the only one doing the project Um, at the end of the day. It's a show with your name on it. You're the only front facing person on the show. There's 
there's a small crew we have and they are involved with all the other shows on the network. So if you don't care about it, no one's going to care about it. But in that regard, when it does work, it feels really good. So if I understand this correctly, you have at least three full-time jobs, four if you want to say your promotions for two shows. And then the whole time you're still managing to moonlight as a COVID police officer. <laughs> How? How do you manage your time, Julie? Please teach me. I just go. I I don't have any gears, Clay. I go either zero or 1000% and it's exhausting. But if anyone listening follows me on Instagram, I'm always I'm I'm just like always on and it's fun and I love leaning into like the fun and and oh doing bits and weird things and stuff but then it does get like you're like okay I need to just take a day off of just being me at this point um but yeah it's been especially I think people actually enjoy the really nothing stories it's like curb your enthusiasm or Seinfeld like those are the things that I get the most comments on or when or when I I lean into something on Instagram that's like so stupid and construction, being a COVID police officer, any of that. People love it because it's just like basic normal people stuff to such an intense degree. <laughs> We met about 10 years ago, or a little over 10 years ago at Leafs TV, and and I had the, the fortune of keeping in touch with you the whole time, and, and when you poured yourself into hockey, you poured everything into hockey, and you got your ticket to be uh, an NHL scout, and then I remember you, you moved into football, what did you do? You made sure that you, you didn't just tackle the NFL and where eyeballs always were, um, nationally and internationally you also made sure you involved yourself at the ncaa level i think of major league soccer and there isn't a person that i would rather watch on the sideline than you during a major league soccer broadcast and and i'm someone who spent you know a fair amount of time around major league soccer but it's just because the amount of preparation that you do you you prepare yourself knowingly or unknowingly for these shows at fubo tv and and you do that by throwing yourself into stand up comedy and and i got so much joy out of talking back and forth and hearing how that process was for you and how that experience was as you're working you know shows every single week is that really at your core who julie stewart binks is are you are you someone who's just able to take in mass amounts of information and then and then churn that into a well-rounded personality on camera and, and and a large amount of information for all your viewers and listeners. Yeah, I'm just like smarter than everyone else. I have exactly. a bigger brain. I'm able to digest information and access it more than other people. My brain's bigger, clearly. Yeah, my brain's bigger, obviously. Uh, it's, it's biological. It's a blessing and a curse, <laughs> yes. Um, I honestly think like that what I've done in the last couple of years is understood that this journey in the industry doesn't have to be in one lane. It doesn't have to be one job and it doesn't have to be one particular thing that maybe everyone says, oh, you should do this thing and you're good at this thing, but maybe that's not the thing that you want to do. And so I found that 
I've really liked to explore different avenues of it. And I think that that's also becoming okay with the fact that the journey and the dream can change. And I think that that's really cool. And that's part of you understanding yourself and taking a step back. Because I think a lot of people think, well, oh, I'm a sideline reporter, so I should keep doing this. And and you kind of keep getting pushed along in something. And I felt uh, that's what was going on with me. I really enjoyed my time on the sideline. I took it as a challenge every single game of how can I do something and bring something to the audience that no one else could know unless I was here. And that is the challenge of every sideline reporter. It's it's go, it's doing stuff that people in the game do not want you to do. And I liked that. I took that as it's like, you know, it's it, it's an adrenaline rush. But in saying that, I felt at the end like I I was preparing so much, I was digging so hard, but that side of it was not being shown anywhere on TV, on it's just you weren't getting enough opportunities. And that's like a struggle every sideline reporter has is the amount of work does not equal what you see on TV or what you what you hear on radio. So I was like, I'm not really enjoying this. Like this isn't I didn't feel fulfilled. I remember that my last like year on the sideline, I was like, this isn't me. This isn't what I want to do long term. And I think going through it, you realize like, I don't want to be the third person on the broadcast. I want to be the main person on the broadcast. And I think that like my personality and who I am, you know, and I'm in my childhood room and I'm looking at pictures of when I grew up, like I was always that person. I was always the person that really liked to step into the spotlight and, and take the microphone. And whether that was a good idea or a bad idea, I just, I really thrive with that kind of adrenaline. And so I, I think when you take a step back and I was fortunate enough in like an odd way to have all this time to think like, what is it that you like? Like at the end of the day, it's like, what are the things you like? And then what does it doesn't have to it doesn't have to have a direct correlation to what you're doing or where you think you're going it's literally just what makes me feel good what makes me feel happy and in that moment when i wasn't working i was like really drawn to improv i liked it i felt good i made a lot of different types of friends and then everyone kept kind of like steering me towards stand up because in improv you have to at least in the earlier levels at UCB rest in peace um that they you, you have to tell monologues based off of a suggestion, like a real story that, that happened to you. And, you know, so, so say the audience yells out flower and you're like, oh, I've got a story about a flower or that's like loosely related to it. I always was the person that would go up and tell some kind of story or monologue. And even my improv teachers were like, you should do stand up because you have you have bits. You understand what a punchline is. And I realized I was doing that all on Instagram. Like my Instagram stories were just bits because it had a punchline. And so then other people were saying, oh, you should do Caroline's class, blah, blah, blah. That's Caroline on Broadway's, or sorry, Caroline's on Broadway. And it, I thought, okay, so I did it. And I remember first starting thinking like, I don't want to be a comedian and like, I don't want to do stand up, but the universe is telling me to go in this direction. Like so many people were telling me to do this. I was like, I'll do it. Why not do it? Like what's literally the worst that could happen is that I have a crippling anxiety and want to murder myself. So like, that's just a regular day then. And so I did it and <laughs> it's it called was, Tuesday for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, but then I realized like, cause so many people said, Oh, you want to be a comedian now? And I had executives say, well, you know, you were a sports broadcaster and now you want to be a comedian. And I said, no, actually like, I'm just actually, I'm learning a different layer and a different uh, level of, of telling a story or of writing. And I think that that's just like an extra tool to have 
whether you're writing scripts for a broadcast or you are doing a live hit, it's just another way of using the information. And I found that in my studies of learning comedy, I've used it in broadcasting and used it to make information that might not be accessible to people who aren't invested in a sport become invested in a sport because they can understand it in a different way and make things fun and different and interesting. And also it fulfilled a need for me, which was that adrenaline rush, which was doing stand-up. And there is literally, first of all, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And everything after stand-up is a walk in the park. It is, it is so easy because it is the hardest thing. It's the most anxiety inducing thing I've ever done. And but it also has the greatest reward and payoff of having a room full of strangers laugh at a joke that you tell is the coolest feeling in the world. And I took a lot of that and people say, oh, well, you, you did it and then you just stopped. I'm like, well, it's kind of hard when you when you get a job and you work in sports and you tell you tell your boss at CBS Sports that, oh, sorry, I can't do the shift. I have to go. I have a set at the Grizzly Pair. Like, no, you can't. That just doesn't work. So it's like, okay, you can go make $25 there or you can work here in this industry. So I remember thinking, um, I'll use this as like a tool. But the thing is, you can't you can't dabble in stand up like you got to go all in. And that's how I got through a lot of the time when I wasn't working was I did open mics every single day. And it sucks sometimes, but it feels really good when you're up there. And then you learn, right? You record yourself, you're, you, you see where the laughs are, you see where the laughs aren't, and then you kind of finesse it. And that's what, that's what that time was, was really neat for me. So like a lot of things in my life, I, as you mentioned, I've kind of had like many different chapters, but I think that's good. Like, I think that we get too invested in the idea that like, this is how our career should be. And like, oh, I've already chosen this path. And it's like, no. That doesn't have to be the case. And so if you're in comedy, is the next logical jump to start researching politics? Well, it just kind of seems like it's it's low hanging fruit. Thing. Yeah, I think like to take a step back <laughs> when I decided to do um, comedy, it was like what I remember this now. I, I forgot to tell this in the last little bit. I was like looking at these late night hosts. And of course, I've always been inspired by Katie Nolan. And she is a friend of mine. I respect her greatly. And I thought, you know, I know I can do this kind of stuff, but I need to have better tools to do these jobs. One of them is I looked around and I'm like, okay, these guys can do stand up or they understand the anatomy of a joke. I've never done that. So that's why I did that. And then I remember going to see Colbert this year with my brother and when the world was different. And I was like, I need to understand politics on a different level too. And also just living in the US and with everything that's gone on this past year and politics being such an interesting realm to understand but it being like just almost a little bit too far out of reach in terms of like U.S. politics. I was like, hmm, I haven't I don't even understand the electoral system. I don't understand how the government really works. Like I I consume all this news and it became such the forefront of our every day. You know, we're watching Andrew Cuomo give these updates on coronavirus and all these different things. And I'm like, I don't even understand how a governor works or like, you know, I'm a Canadian. Like I've I've never I've never I've never understood or learned any of that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, this is a perfect time. We are at home. We're not going out. We're not doing these things. And I had thought I'd read something somewhere that was like telling me to do online courses or like to learn more. And it's just one of those things where it's like, 
you can do it without the course because I did take this as you reference this this course with Harvard but doing a course keeps you on track and it keeps you like holds you accountable to learning the information and then when you're older in life I find it's like you're very interested in it more so because you're doing it out of a need to learn so you when they say oh here's some more suggested reading if you're interested in this topic like you go do that when you're in when you're in university or high school like you don't do that because you don't care really at that point that's not the most important thing in in your world and so I thought the election's coming up I want to be able to understand the ins and outs of the electoral system, of campaigns, of the different parties. And when you do understand the history of that, you obviously understand today better. And we went over so many different types of of, of elements with politics that like it does you do understand in many different realms why Donald Trump was elected, how this happened. It's not just, oh, rhetoric that you hear from someone and then you just sort of adopt that as your own idea like no there are many steps along the way that you realize are part of why the world is the way it is right now at least in the u.s so it's just it's just trying to learn more right like that's the way i think of it at the end of the day how can i make myself better does it help you as and i say this kindly but as a canadian in the united states and i think of mutual friends since we're name dropping here and you had to you know bring katie nolan and thank you by the way that's definitely one of those clips we can snip tag katie nolan and she'll 100 <laughs> percent listen to it maybe retweet it no but i also think of uh mutual friend rachel Bonetta, and i have all the love and respect for her every time she dips her toe into something political it seems like there are a thousand people at her doorstep telling her to go back to Canada and shut up. Does this help you try to, first of all, relate, but also the bit of education perhaps gives you that confidence? Yeah, I think that's that would be the same in a lot of different subjects and realms, too. It's just you have you have a great understanding of what you're talking about. So then you're able to have a point of view that is informed and then you can go back at these trolls if you so wish. But obviously they are idiots. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it helps you like it, it's an informed opinion and then it helps you understand like what's going on right now and why are the parties aligned the way they are? Why are they more polarized? When has this happened in the history in the past? Why did... Why, like, uh, why did Donald Trump receive 13% more news coverage than Hillary Clinton? What's happening again now? Why was everything so negative in different regards? And so uh, I learned a lot even just going back to the early 1900s of politics in the U.S. and going through FDR and then into Nixon and Clinton and all these different things that was like really fascinating. And then at the end of the day, you're sort of like, this is just wanting to understand better but I have become like way more invested in politics probably because I mean we're sort of like on a collision course for another civil war that is already brewing and it's hard to suspend your disbelief that the world there's so many fascinating but also very polarizing and combustible topics going on in the world and then there's sports and both of them there is a Venn diagram of of both of them interacting but it's really hard for me to sit down on, you know, it's NFL Sunday right now, the first NFL Sunday in months and sit down and watch a game. And then it's hard to then not think about, well, what about coronavirus at this? And what about racial injustice protests and everything going on in the world and an election that is already having reports of 
you know, different influences from around the world or the shadiness of the, the ballots and all this kind of stuff. And so I find that more interesting right now. Has the intersection between sports and politics ever been this evident? I think of, uh, you brought up the NFL and I think of Thursday night's game, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, open up the NFL season. They have whatever it was, 14 or 16,000 people. There's one hot topic right there. Are we having people inside of stadiums and how are we gathering groups together? How are we keeping them safe due to coronavirus? And then secondly, uh, as the players stood together in solidarity, you very clearly through broadcast heard booing. Uh, ringing out throughout some of the fans there. I don't want to pin it on everyone. Has there been a moment, at least in our lifetime, where we've seen such a strong connection uh, and that that crossover has been so large between politics and sports? Yeah, no, definitely. I don't think at all. And I think that it's we've we saw a little bit of it a couple of years ago when the president inserted himself into Colin Kaepernick's protest, and that sort of started the conversation like this. But now we're seeing. We're seeing so many different elements of politics find their way into sport because it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like it's it's real people. It's real life. It's like it's not just this. It isn't a diversion a lot of the time like it can be, but it also has elements of the real world involved in it. And I think that when you do then understand like the civil rights movement or the civil rights law and how come they're in the South in the States, like there used to be the Southern Democrats. And how come when the civil war happened, like what was the division between the two and then how that helped define the Republican party and why Richard Nixon leaned into that. And you can kind of see like things from today. And so that's why when I do a deep dive in the past where a lot of Americans learned all this in school, like we didn't. And I did have a couple people say like, oh, you probably know more than most Americans right now because they wouldn't have renewed their knowledge on a lot of this stuff or seen the connection between the two. It does then just help your understanding of your point of view. If you are going to have people on your show, what to ask them, um, everything is just part of right. Like er all of your experience and all of your knowledge and everything you do leads up to um, who you are, right? And how you ask your questions and your response to things. So if you can have more tools to then understand that and then understand like, you know, as someone in the media, how the media did influence how people were, how does obviously how people think of certain candidates and on certain issues. And that understanding that that's not fake news, but that is there are different lenses that people look through. And we understand partisan news and all that kind of, you know, that way, but that like, there is a, there's a tendency to focus on the negative. And that's not saying, oh, you're being a, a negative, you know, Corona positivity, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, there is, it's just understanding kind of like looking in the mirror and saying like, oh yeah, well, I mean, I find stories that are, no one, they say the hardest thing for a political reporter is to write a positive profile on a candidate because that's not interesting, right? Like, that's not what people read. People read things that are um, messy, that are kind of like, yeah, the headline grabbing types of things. And that's also then why headline grabbing the the outrageous statements, the, the controversy, that's why the microphone's been given to Trump so many more times than anyone else. And then when you hold the microphone, you get to decide the narrative on things. So we are seeing that now to do even more political deep stuff, we're seeing Joe Biden kind of mirror that and understand that 
you have to take a strong stance against someone who is who is holding the microphone, who has that microphone grabbed so tightly and is saying, this is how you should think about something. You can't battle that by being quiet. You have to battle that by trying to get that microphone back because we saw Trump create the narrative in the last election on Hillary, on what he thought the world was. And he's still doing that. He's done this the last four years. So when you understand these things and why they work and why people listen, it's like cooking, right? It's like, oh, that now I understand how to make a cake. Okay, great. Now I can change things or I can add things or I can make a better cake. <laughs> and if the 24-hour news channels weren't enough and, and 72-hour news cycles and daily newspapers, the social media age, obviously, and everything we're talking about now ratchets that up to 12. If you're open to it, the election's in a couple months from now. I'd love to chat with you again and really get your opinion on that. I know you have for the first time in I don't know how long vacation planned, and here I am eating into that. <laughs> but at JSB underscore TV on Twitter, at Julie SB underscore on Instagram. Did I get that right? Yep, you got it. Drinks with Binks. Friday nights, Fubo TV. Follow you, obviously, for all, uh, not just the links, but all the snippets from that. And any word on when your late night show is coming back? Um, I guess we'll just have to figure out what, I mean, we don't even know what will if we'll ever be in a studio again at this point. So uh, I think that, um, I think I'd like to figure out a way to do it by remotely i just gotta it's 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 trying to figure out how that looks different than from the other show right in a of way course. so and and a, yeah so that's where i guess we're gonna try to figure out and going forward like uh, do we ever go back to a studio we probably won't it's much cheaper to do everything from home and why would you go to a studio if you can't do anything different you just swap so. out all the figure skating medals for hockey medals yeah, I mean, I would prefer not having, as you know, Clay, you helped me by um, by helping me with the lighting setup uh, during this time. Like, I would like to be able to hand that off to someone so I'm not setting <laughs> up with a shot every time I'm on TV. Julie, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy your time off, but obviously I'll be excited for you to come back and to see what the next episode of Drinks with Banks holds. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. Please check the number and try your call again. 